0: Welcome to the 16th episode of the Rain Race Podcast. Today we're going to be speculating on the future of IndyCar's schedule and driver lineups. We're going to be talking about F1 driver mix-ups, and we're going to wrap it all up with some IndyCar Formula One and IMSA race recaps. I'm Chris Aurelio. This is Rain Race. Let's go. Episode 16 of the Rain Race Podcast here uh, for the first time back for a regular episode in two or three weeks. It's been a while. Um, Kyle and I have been busy, and uh, yeah, hopefully. And also, by the way, this is the first episode going up on a Monday since probably May. Um, So there you go. We're going to try to get back on the regular schedule of things here now that both of us have a little bit more free time. But anyway, as always, joined by Kyle Cuthbertson. Sup? And we do have a lot to go over because this is what happens when you procrastinate and don't get an episode out for a few weeks. Although I do promise you we were busy, all right? It's not like we were just lazy promise. and not, not doing our work here. Well, let's, just, let's
1: go over what we were doing for a minute. I was karting, which we can bring up because Rain Race Podcast was on both of the le carts. We got some good promotion from Mr. David Land, who's been on the show.
0: And then Chris.
1: Chris was at the Six Hours of the Glen. Uh, tell us about your experience there
0: uh it was good it was hot i got sunburn, and uh talk about that in a little while here
1: funny story that david actually told me is we were on a skype call with ricky taylor like two or three days before you went to the race and you were afraid to go and talk to him huh
0: when was... no that was after the race <laughs> after all right let me tell you because david decides to bring this up after the race, right, we were walking back to um, the, the scrap pile to get some pieces of the car. By the way, I got a piece, a dive plane from the number six Penske. Um, yeah,
1: I saw the Montoya thing that yes. David got.
0: Uh, yeah, funny part, actually, uh, I broke that piece off and gave it to him, and I broke off a piece and gave it to Brian. So we basically just snapped a dive Team plane. Work. But, yeah, that's sharing is caring. Just remember that, kids. Uh, anyway, so we are walking back to that after the race. And kind of just walking up and down, just like look checking the trash bins and everything while we were doing it. And I saw Ricky Taylor. he was over there just talking to a fan, and I had already talked to him earlier. I was like, hey, podcast, you know you remember all he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you remembered us, which was uh, nice, I guess. I mean, it's only a couple of days after he recorded, <laughs> but um, just talked to him about that. and then, Anyway, after the race, walked, and he was talking to a fan, and David's like, you should go talk to him some more. You didn't really get to talk to him a lot earlier, and I was like, hey, he's already talking to a guy. I'm not going to go over there and interrupt, and, and that was that. We just kept checking trash bins, but it's not like I was purposely, like, shy, or I was trying to avoid him. Um, that's just the story. He was already talking to a fan, and I didn't want to go over there and just kind of barge right.
1: And but, Chris is lame, unlike uh, us him. when we go to races, and he didn't get any interviews, so we're sorry.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I am sorry. I, I mean, we were the only real opportunity was during the autograph session. and We were kind of running around, had our hands full there. So I apologize. All right, if I get to spend an entire month at a racetrack, then maybe I would. Um, and then,
1: and, and then a good bit of news of you know going to races and stuff. I will be at hopefully like there's a seventy-five percent chance that I'll be at the Mid Ohio test day on the seventeenth. So it'll just be like me there, not a lot of people around. So hopefully I can get some. Uh, chats with some drivers and get some interviews
0: right so should that happen it actually no it wouldn't show up in next week's episode it would show up in two weeks but yeah we'll we'll try to get some of those out for you check our twitter i'm already gonna plug that at Rain race podcast and we'll keep you updated there uh shall we get into the news though right um try to keep this short and concise we have a segment about imsa prototypes we're gonna be getting to that next week um when we get at least Kevin Rollins in the call, hopefully we'll get David Land as well. And we can talk about that because ha- just having us two talk about it, it's a pretty opinion-based topic, so the more the merrier yeah. when it comes well, to that. But
1: I've already heard Kevin and David debate it, and it's going to be an interesting one. You don't want to miss it.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, but really the only proper news we have for this week's episode is that IndyCar will not be returning to Phoenix International Raceway. I'm sorry, ISM Raceway. Oh, boy. 2019. Uh, This news came out around a week ago. Already some speculation going on on what race could replace it. We've seen that IndyCar was in contact with Homestead, Miami, Speedway, and Richmond International Raceway could also be in the picture for a return. So Kyle, resident IndyCar expert, uh, what are your opinions first off on Phoenix uh, not coming back to the schedule uh, considering it's only been on for, what was it, three? Yeah, three seasons.
1: It's definitely something that we could all see coming, the attendance and the racing. But uh, you definitely never want to see a race go on a schedule, in a 16 race schedule. But uh, the fact that I. um, It wasn't ISM, that's the right name of the track. But the fact that ISC um, were able to say, hey, let's get rid of Phoenix, but let's work on another one of our racetracks and see if we can get something there. I think Richmond would attract a big crowd like it did back when they had it. And it could also put on a good show, as we saw in Iowa. The short oval stuff is pretty, pretty interesting when they do it right. Um, I think Homestead at night would be a good, good uh, before indie race. You know, like it used to be. Also, um, what other tracks were they saying? They were saying like New Hampshire. Um, I, people always, the fans are going to say Auto Club, Auto Club. It's not going to happen unless it's a night race in the fall and it's the finale. Um, people have been saying Michigan, but I think Michigan is a total speculation and there's no truth to that at all either. So it's it's good to see ISC saying, hey, let's let's get a race to replace it on one of our tracks.
0: I'd say if I had to pinpoint one at the moment, and yes, we do speculate quite a bit on this podcast, but if I had to pinpoint one, that'd be the most likely right now, I'd say it's Homestead because they're the ones yeah. who have actually come out and said they were in talks with IndyCar. So... Just talking about that a little bit here, because Homestead would actually be an interesting race, I think, because first off, it's very banked, right? It's, uh, I can't know, is it more or less banked than Texas? More, I want to say. Yeah. But I it is also not as wide. It's not as wide, yes, but they, I mean, they'd be pr- pretty close to flat out, if not flat out there. So.
1: It all depends on how they do the arrow in 2019. If they change anything on the front wing, then we could probably be wide, flat out, but I don't know. It is interesting because the way they change the arrow in the road course, well, the oval cars. My bad. Um, we don't have. We have so little arrow that I think uh, they might have to crack the throttle, and it probably, I don't know, wouldn't be the pack race. I think a lot of people think.
0: I don't think it'd be a pack race. I just think if I don't know, it's really hard to know because they haven't been there since the Iro five days, but. I think, well, first off, it'd be a very high-speed track. It'd be up there with tracks like Texas and Poken. I mean, it wouldn't be quite as high as those, but yeah. it would definitely be the fourth-fastest track on the IndyCar schedule it came on. Um, and I, I talked to you about it a little bit yesterday. Could it actually be dangerous? I know we saw um, a Fatality there back in 2003 or 2005. 2006. Oh, six. wow. Paul um, Dana. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean... I think it's interesting. It's something to sleep on. Uh, If it does come, it could be interesting. It could be very dangerous. We'll have to see. Um, I I don't know. I'd say that if IndyCar can figure out the package that they'd want to run there, again, this is all complete speculation because they haven't even said it's coming to the schedule next year, but I think it definitely could be an interesting race should it uh, actually happen.
1: Mark Miles did say that we are going to have 17 races no matter what, so either way, we probably do have a new track coming we just don't we just it's all speculation on which and i will say if it is richmond or homestead it better be a night race because i'm tired like when a track has lights and you don't do a night race that's that's not that's depressing to me so it better be a night race and it better be an oval because we're lacking on ovals unless it's cleveland it better be an oval
0: well speaking on night races quickly here uh, actually iowa coming back as a night Ooh. race next season Um, not
1: confirmed, but basically they said, yeah, let's, we, we should talk about this again.
0: All right. So, I mean, if Iowa does become a night race again, I think that's a step in the right direction. I don't know if it's just like the, I don't know what effect it is, but I feel like when you go under the lights, it just makes the race more interesting. I don't know if it's even just excitement wise or what, but especially like you look at Daytona and NASCAR, I've always preferred a night race at Daytona, um, I don't know. Maybe it's just a certain effect that it has. I don't know if it's if it has any direct correlation. Of course, the track is cooler, um, so there's a little bit more grip. Uh, but yeah, I think that, that would be a step the in the fact, right direction for the Iowa race because the
1: fact that IndyCar race... are yeah, the IndyCars they just look so much better at night. Well, the one thing with uh, Iowa going to night would be is NASCAR is on NBC right now, which shows IndyCar basically and. Uh, if, they, if they do the Daytona night race still on that Saturday night, that would be before Iowa. So that's the only step they're going to have to to try and get around. And maybe Daytona, maybe they move a week back, maybe they do a Sunday night race. Because I always thought if you do Daytona on the 4th of July, why don't you do the night race on a Sunday? Because it wouldn't even matter because nobody's in school or work on the 4th of July. So it, that's, the only, that's the only thing they really got to get around here.
0: Yeah, and of course we'll have to wait until IndyCar's schedule comes out. Uh, It's usually August, September, around that time when it comes out. um, To get any official word on those couple things that we just talked about. But moving on here. I said that was the only news thing we have, but it's time to go into Rain Race speculation. Um, Because we're going to be keeping on IndyCar here. Talking about the IndyCar silly season. Now this is all news that's been gathered up over the past few weeks. And the good thing about not having an episode on the past couple of weeks is that we can pretty much pile all of this into one episode so it's not all jumbled up and confusing. Uh, So we'll just start from the beginning here. This news is all a couple of weeks old, but McLaren uh, apparently approached Scott Dixon. That news is coming from Racer, a very trustworthy source. Which Um,
1: Dixon then came out and said that it was he basically confirmed it that they have, but nothing really is going on. He Dixon basically said he's more focused on this year's championship than anything,
0: getting done next year. Mm. I would just like to quickly point out that I was the, I was, the one who first mentioned that a couple of couple of, it was about a month ago, whenever we last I had David so. on, and uh, and yeah, you guys were quick to throw me down on that one, saying that it just wouldn't happen. you would be sticking with Ganassi, but we'll have to see. You know. Of course, uh, McLaren well, on its you own. You've to
1: think about McLaren, yeah.
0: Yeah, McLaren on its own. we got a lot to talk about here. Um, so, it's it's very confusing right now because Eric Boulier, who's their uh, racing director, resigned from his position at McLaren. He was replaced by Jill DeFerrin. And Jill DeFerrin pretty much was at McLaren for, like, an IndyCar-based role, right? He was trying to evaluate whether they'd be able to have a return to IndyCar, and this has sort of kick-started a whole whitewash of rumors left and right that nobody really has any physical evidence on, but we're going to go down all of them right here. Um, So, pretty much right after Billion's resignation, um, Brown said that no decision has been made yet on their IndyCar program, but that they're laser-focused on Formula One, and that news is from Adam Stern on Twitter, who First, pretty much broke the news of the McLaren IndyCar rumors a couple months ago. Um, and then we got rumors from, try not to mess this name up, Auto Motor Unsport. And me personally, I think that this is a rather trustworthy source because they're the ones who initially broke the news on Audi and Porsche pulling their LMP1 programs uh, before we had any cold, cold hard evidence that they'd actually be doing that. Um, so they said that the program is in quotes on hold by the instruction of some mclaren shareholders now if you're not completely sure how mclaren is run nowadays they're pretty much run by the shareholders uh, eric brown was a major shareholder in mclaren so they definitely have a big say in everything that the programs uh, the the team does uh and then we got more news from mark miles and zach brown saying that they talked over the iowa weekend and that the rumors that they have completely axed the 2019 IndyCar program are untrue. Um, they're still saying that there's no definite decision on a full-time IndyCar program. So, a lot of back and forth uh, sort of finger pointing going on here. Kyle, what would you say, sort of dissecting this a little bit, on um, what you think we could see next season?
1: Well, I think we basically could have predicted all this back and forth the uh, once the whole McLaren 80 car thing was started, we kind of figured that this was going to be a whole like, they said this, they said this, they said this, they said, and it's all going to just run down into the fall until it gets to the next year. Um, it just feels like it's been news. It's like, oh, they're coming. Oh, wait, they're not coming. Oh, they're coming. Oh, wait, there's a good chance they're coming, but oh, wait, they're not. Like it's just like, she's been back and forth, and it's so hard to predict what's going to happen. I, I think the best thing to can do is just to do everyone to chill out and wait, I guess. I but the my thing about it is I don't see why they wouldn't. Like because if you put the you put the uh money it takes to run in an IndyCar car and you take the money it takes to run an F one, they could probably run F one I any Indy car with a snap of the finger easy. Especially if they went in with another team and did it. Like I don't think it'd be that hard for them to do it if they wanted to. So and then also the other thing that gets overlooked in the whole McLaren to IndyCar thing is where does Fernando go cuz I'm pretty sure I don't I don't know if McLe- uh, Fernando even is going to be back in the McLaren F1 car next year like I don't know and then there's no other F1 team that would take Fernando like I, where does Fernando go does McLaren go to IndyCar and you know there's been rumors where McLaren goes to IndyCar they're going to bring two cars like it's just it's all a conundrum right now that it's all speculation and only a few things have are actually clear, and that's that they're evaluating it. Eric Boulier resigned, and now they have Gilles DeFerrin and Boullier's spot, which I don't think that really means much on the IndyCar side. I think Zach Brand, I think Gilles DeFerrin actually being in that position could actually help the chances, him being higher up at McLaren. But I don't know. It's just all a bunch of speculation we'll have to see until the fall to really find out what happens.
0: All right, well, let's start with the obvious here, right? Um... So McLaren is going to want to hold on to Fernando Alonso. He's pretty much their star driver. He brings in the sponsors. He brings in the talent. Uh, So they're going to want to hold on to him. Alonso is really, really set on doing the Indy 500 again. And I don't see any reason why he'd want to skip doing it next season. Exactly. Uh, So if I had to make a very quick guess here based on the rumors that I've heard left and right, I feel like next season... We would see McLaren do what they did in 2017, where they run Indy, likely with Andretti again. They get Andretti to help them with the car side of things, the team side of things. Um, and then 2020, that's where we would see a full-time McLaren IndyCar team. I don't think right now, because right now they keep saying, you know, we're, we're thinking about it. We're, you know, we're still uh, looking at all the possibilities. But Michael Andretti said he wants an answer soon, so if they're going to have an Andretti partnership, they have to get an answer to him pretty soon. Um, I just think, given all the evidence that we have, it's not likely that we'll see them in full-time next season. Could be wrong, obviously. Uh, But if I had to put my finger on one thing, I do think it would be them running Indy one-off with Alonso. Because McLaren, like I said, they want to keep Alonso. Um, And Alonso wants to do the race, so... I think really that makes the most sense to me. It's kind of keeping everybody happy. Um, I don't know. It's it's tricky to put your finger on because nobody really knows right now what's going on inside the team and with the big restructure, especially. Uh, there's a lot of unknowns.
1: Even Fernando said uh, that we'll see about Indy next year, and that you know maybe we'll do it. And Luis Garcia said that you know, IndyCar really isn't on the uh, radar yet. So, I mean, I kind of said like, they're just going to lead us on until the fall and we're going to get all this news and we're not going to know anything until it's plans start getting looked at for next season. Like I, I just think it is a little early for this and it's just the, the, the speculation back and forth has just been interesting to see the reactions and things.
0: Well, I just want to quickly point out Luis Garcia Garcia's Alonso's manager. Just for, yes. <laughs> for people who might've been questioning that. Um, there right. is
1: more silly season news to IndyCar, though. Besides yeah. the Nando and McLaren.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, and the last thing, just on that Alonzo McLaren talk, is that Honda's Boss City is open to Fernando driving for them. Wait, I mean, that makes Don't sense, know. obviously. He brings in promotion, he brings in uh, interest. And he's talented, like I pointed at earlier. Um, anyway, for the rest of the silly can, season in IndyCar. I can do this. I can yeah. do this. this is housekeeping things.
1: So basically, just the little housekeeping things in the silly season is Tony Cannon and uh, Mateus Laced, they're going to be confirmed for 2019. So for once, uh, AJ Foyt is going to have two confirmed drivers for next year in, in the midseason. Um, and then the, also, the the big elephant in the room is Colton Herta. Even though Pato Ward is now eight points behind uh, after Iowa, uh, Colton Herta and uh, Steinbrenner, which is the partial team owner of the Andretti Steinbrenner Indy Lights thing that Col- Colton has. Um, they have come out and said that the, you know Ed Carpenter Racing, Ray Letterman, there are also options that they could go in the IndyCar with if Andretti cannot display them. Because you got to remember, back to Fernando and McLaren, if McLaren goes in with Andretti, which they likely would, if they had went in with Andretti, that would put Andretti up to six cars? Well, five or six. Depends what McLaren does too. Because he has the four regulars, well, he has the three maybe, right? And then the Herta car, and then like a McLaren, so that'd be five, and then maybe six. So then it just looks like Steinbrenner wouldn't have space at Andretti, so it's like, where does he go? And a lot of people, whenever I've asked people about that, they've always said, they've all told me, oh, Brian Herta will just team up with Steinbrenner and they'll do their own thing. But with Herta and Andretti, my, uh, Marco, I don't... I don't know if I could see that honestly. I don't see. I don't know if the Marco and Brian Herta thing could split up, and I don't think. I don't think Brian Herta would really be willing to split up with Michael and go do his own thing. Like I don't. I don't know. I just don't see that partnership splitting up so so early. The whole, if Brian Herta left the Andretti stable and just did it with Steinbrenner, I don't think that'd be as competitive and it'd be more risky. And I just. It's a whole conundrum and basically steinbrenner coming out and saying that they could go to ecr ray hall that's makes sense and uh we'll see where that goes obviously in the indy lights championship if colton Herta wins the championship which i mean before iowa we were kind of like oh it's probably that's uh, that's a pretty big chance which is still a good chance even though it's an eight point gap if he wins that championship gets that money uh for winning it to move up that's it's going to be a big domino to fall in next year's silly season. And if Steinbrenner comes in with Steinbrenner, you know. But people don't realize is the budget of Indy Lights to IndyCar actually isn't that big of a gap. That's why we've seen, you know, guys like Junkos and Bilardi trying to come in in this year's 500 and stuff, you know, because the gap isn't as big as people think. That's, you know, why Indy Lights has eight cars. Um, moving on from that, uh, Penske, this is just a little housekeeping thing, is they... Uh, the only driver they have signed for next year is Newgarden, but obviously they're going to keep the Power. I mean, the only domino out of that would be Pagano, and like it's, it's pretty much like 99.9% that Pagano would sign with them. Like, I'm pretty sure they want to keep with the same three drivers because I think the only driver that they would look at would be Wickens, but uh, Sam Schmidt was a smart guy. And he snatched Wickens up with a five-year contract, if nobody knew that. Wickens is in for five years for Schmidt-Peterson racing. Sam Schmidt knows a good driver when he sees one. So that would be the only guy I think Roger would actually be looking at, or Tim Sindrick. But um, Penske has one out of the three guys signed, but they're probably going to they're probably going to stay the same. And then the one thing about the whole silly season, we also got to keep in mind that Ryan Reinbold um, – is looking to come in next year. Which another rumor I've heard is Ryan Reinbold wants to come to Pocono this year with Karam and maybe even Hildebrand, uh, because Karam obviously wants to run the Pocono race, like he said before. And I mean, maybe they'd bring Hildebrand. That that's the rumor I've heard at least. And then Scuderia Corsa wants to come in this year, next year. They already said the Indy 500 is it. Like they want to do the Indy 500. That's it. that's set in stone. That's good. Um, but they, we also know that Servia is not, like, a guaranteed driver there. If someone comes into Scuderia Corsa with money and says, I want to run the 500, they would take them into consideration. Like, there's not a driver for Scuderia Corsa yet. Uncos Racing is always on a turning wheel of drivers. You know, we have Alfonso Silas, Rene Binder, which even, his results aren't very good, but he's got money. And then Kyle Kaiser, which Kyle Kaiser I'm kind of worried about because... Uh he got most of his money from the Indy Lights thing, so he might not be here for next year and he had a I don't know about you, but he had a pretty good couple starts. He has kept it clean and been pretty good. And then honestly, Mayor Shank, they're gonna they wanna come in by themselves. It's like they said that they could have done it this year, but it just didn't seem safe, so they could do it next year. They could do it in two years. Who knows? But it looks like Jack Harvey's probably gonna be the guy, but who knows? Um so just the, the couple of teams trying to come in right now. That's just we got to keep in mind that there's probably drivers looping around those kind of areas and and kind of the quiet out of this whole silly season talk. Like the quiet name is Scott Dixon. I think that's the domino to fall. It's like everybody is kind of like, yeah, Dixon's definitely going to Ganassi. We don't see him leaving, but you know, McLaren comes to IndyCar. That whole uh, Bruce McLaren, New Zealander, kind of like, you know, who Dixon looked up to. That kind of, I mean, that kind of hangs up there, you know. That's probably a little, that's kind of tempting to him, I bet. And uh, Dixon's at a place right now is, you know, do you want to, you know, end your career at the same place or do you want to go off and try something new and see if you're successful there? Um, so there, Dixon's the biggest name out of all the silly season, Uh Penske has an open seat for like I, like I said, Pagano. Rambling now, but Pagano—that's the only guy that I could see leaving, and it's not a very good chance of it. So a few, not as big as last year's silly season, but still a decent one.
0: So last bit here to go over would be Formula One. Um, now, the big thing that's been going around right now is that Ferrari is ready to replace Kimi Räikkönen. and now the question is who they replace him with and the two drivers who we've seen the most would be daniel ricardo and Charles Leclerc. um okay so <laughs> ricardo was the name that we saw more of at the beginning um obviously he has the talent uh he's won a race for red bull this year he's Uh, has a lot of pace, and you put him in a good seat like Ferrari, he's probably going to be even more successful there than he was at Red Bull, and even a world championship contender, probably. Um, And he also already had chemistry with Sebastian Vettel from the Red Bull days. Uh, But then, later on, they said that that would have costed them too much, Um, so they started talking about Charles Leclerc. Now, just quickly back on the Ricardo thing here, what does that mean for him? Does that mean he stays at Red Bull, or do we see another mix-up where he goes to another team that we couldn't really predict? Because I don't really see any team uh, that would snatch him up where he'd actually be willing to go to more than Red Bull, because Red Bull is in the big three of Formula One teams, and Mercedes certainly isn't looking for any other drivers right now unless we get some big... uh, off-season retirement like nico rosberg in 2016 um so they're all set in that department uh ferrari i mean there you go we already just talked about ferrari so i think that that pretty much just leaves him in a red bull seat for next season
1: i think ricardo even said that the only the only teams that he would be open like really would be the whole media kind of knew what he was saying but Ferrari and Mercedes are really the only teams that he would, you know, eyeball because he said he wanted to win a world championship before he retired. Like that's the one thing. Like, it's basically like a Rosberg deal. He wants to win a world championship before he retires, and he doesn't know. He's got to know if Red Bull can give him that, or he would move. But where would he move? He can't go to Ferrari now. And I think this week in news, he literally said that um, a deal with Red Bull is, you know he hopes that that's a thing that's happening because Ricardo was the guy that this season all the media and F1 were like yeah this is the biggest free agent quote unquote free agent that we have this year that could move and uh, now if uh, Leclerc is taking Raikkonen's seat Ra- Raikkonen is like the oddball out and he in my opinion he either retires or he goes to a team like McLaren which I think McLaren has already suggested that they, uh, that they approached Kimi and they want Kimi. And remember, this is also the team that came out and said that they uh, offered Ricardo a big, big salary. <laughs> so, uh, And then also Leclerc going to Ferrari, though, opens up a Sauber seat. Do we get Pascal Verlein back? I don't know. Did Daniel Cofia jump back? I don't know. Um, but Leclerc going to Ferrari, too, I think that's a positive. A guy that's finishing points like two or three times this year um, in a Sauber so I think that's that's definitely a positive for the sport and definitely definitely interesting to see. It's a lot less speculation in F1 is what I'm noticing here.
0: Just jumping in here the thing about Leclerc is that he might not be as talented as Ricardo right now but he has a lot more potential. He's a lot younger so he has time. a lot more time to develop and if he brought the pace that we're already seeing from him this season um, over to Ferrari I mean, he could definitely get some good runs in next season and just add that onto the development he gets over the next couple of years. um, He could be a a great driver for them to pick up. Um, Kimi Raikkonen, all that news with him possibly going to McLaren, um, that's very interesting as well. I mean, it looks like McLaren was interested in picking up a big driver. Now, I'm not sure if this was uh, back in a time or maybe a time that still exists where Fernando Wants to leave and go to IndyCar full time. This is all tying back full circle to the IndyCar rumors we were just talking about. Yep. Um, I mean, it just looks like they're really interested in picking up a good driver. Now, maybe we're wrong. Maybe they're just trying to replace Van Dorn. Not sure. Um, but like you mentioned, they they contacted uh, Ricardo and they're looking for Raikkonen. So I mean, they're all over the place trying to find a good driver to pick up for their uh, car next year.
1: I also feel like the only one that talks about McLaren and IndyCar and saying how they also have Lando Norris under contract and Lando Norris is kind of at the point where it's like, yeah, I could go to F1 like in the next year or two, but there's no open seats cause we're only allowed two cars on the team. So I feel like for them to go to IndyCar, everyone's been saying Fernando's a shoe in, but I think also they would look at IndyCar to possibly put a driver like Lando Norris in there to give him time to develop in a faster car. Um, that, that's also, I feel like the only one that's kind of pointed out Lando Norris in the picture. Because there is a kind of, like I've said before on the podcast, I'm pretty sure I've said this. is that F1 kind of has like a development driver predicament where they're ready for F1, but no seats are open. Um, I think Charles Leclerc, I think, he was a, uh, I think he was a part of that whole deal before he went to Sauber. And I think Pascal Varline is caught up in that right now. Robert Wickens, obviously, in the past, in, like, 13, got caught up in that, where he was a development driver ready to go in. But, oh, no, we need we need Lewis Hamilton in the car because he's a star. So there is kind of like a development driver predicament in F1 right now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and moving on to the last part of the episode here, the recaps. Now, we have a lot here. A um, lot. Because we missed a couple of weeks. So... To compensate for that, I'm going to try to keep at least my end a little bit short and concise. Hopefully, Kyle, you can do the same with the IndyCar portion. Um, in fact, let's start off with IndyCar here. A couple of weeks ago, they hit this uh, the road course of Road America, one of the best tracks of the season, in my opinion. Um, so starting off here, I mean, you can pretty much take the reins on the IndyCar side here. Um, so starting off with Road America.
1: Road America was not really the race that I thought it would be. But it was still a good race. It felt like one of those classics. There wasn't like a bunch of BS, you know, stuff going on. It was just a, a pretty fair race. And now, how Newgarden dominated basically the entire race. Like that's basically what you need to know is Newgarden dominated the entire thing. But at the same time, he didn't dominate because I'm, the top four were at least they were at least separated by two or three seconds the basically the whole time. It felt like um, you had. New Garden leading Hunter Ray breathing down his neck the whole time. Wickens was up there at a time. Sada was up there at a time. Rossi was up there before the before that mess that I'll talk about later came in. Ray Hall jumped up there a little bit, um, trying to think of more drivers that were up there. Pretty sure Bordet, Nah, I think yeah, Bourdais had an issue. In my my bad. But um, yeah, it, Dixon finished. Eh, he finished third or something like that. I think because he definitely capitalized on a bad day and then on Newgarden winning, I should say, and then got a points gap. But uh, basically the highlights of the race were when, uh, if you don't know about this already, then you need to listen. Rossi uh, had two altercations in this race. In the beginning of the race, he kind of put out uh, Robert Wickens, which is what people have been saying are kind of like the one where, they felt like he should have had a penalty. If you know turn six at Road America going up the hill over the Corvette, under the Corvette Bridge, um, basically Rossi was on the inside and Wickens was on the outside, and Rossi came through the exit of the corner, basically gave him no room and put him off track. Uh, people said that that should have probably been either a warning or a penalty, and, and they gave him no action. But then we go later in the race, going into turn five, which is the most popular corner of passing at Road America before that Corvette Bridge section from the last incident Uh, Sato tried to pass on the outside of Rossi because Rossi went defensive. He made the pass happen out of five and then going into six Rossi stuck it back up the inside. He basically Sato had him cleared for a moment. And then Rossi came back on the inside and I opinions vary on this incident, but I, how I saw it was Sato completed his pass and then Rossi, Tried to come back in that corner, came in too hot, hit Sato off track, and Sato eventually lost two spots, and they gave him no action for it. Now, Chris, I don't know if your opinions vary on this this accident, but a lot of people I've talked to agree with me. Um, I've talked to uh, Rossi's uh, pit crew, the the pit crew chief. He he is the chief of the pit crew, and
0: uh, the pit crew chief is the they, chief of the pit crew. You heard it here first.
1: Yes, 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 yes. Um, But uh, well, in NASCAR you have a crew chief and whatever. Anyways, um, I even talked to them and they were all defending Rossi, of course. And yeah, I'm a Ray Hall fan. I got to defend Sato, but I I definitely think Rossi was a little aggressive. A lot of people were angry with Rossi, just like after St. Pete, they were angry with Rossi. So Rossi definitely had some antics in Road America. And Chris, what are your thoughts?
0: on that. Well, I was just about to say Rossi, it seems like he's either gaining a lot of people who love him for these things, or he's gaining a lot of people who hate him, and I can say one thing's for sure is that Rossi is definitely a lot more of a confident type of guy than he was when he first crawled in in 2016. <laughs> 2016, I'd say he was probably one of the most shy drivers in the field. I mean, he kind of just drove around. He had decent pace, um, but this season especially, we see him throwing down moves that sometimes aren't really called for. I mean, I'm kind of on that side for the Road America incidents with Sato, um, uh, and, you know, even St. Pete, granted that one was a mistake, I mean, but he's definitely showing a lot more aggression this season than we even saw from him last year, so he's starting to get his foot, uh, his foot deep in the water, starts trying to figure out what he can and can't get away with, um, but there are a lot of people, like I said, who are fans of him for this because, oh, he's he's IndyCar's quote-unquote bad guy. You know, IndyCar no needs one. needs a bad guy to, to uh, sort of rile up all the other drivers. Um, and a lot of people think, hey, this is where Rossi fits in perfectly. You know, me, on the other hand, I don't know. I'm not going to defend him for his actions. I know that there are people who think, oh, this is great. This is great that we finally have a driver doing this, but I'm personally on the opposite side. Um I just like to, you know, for a phrase that kind of quotes it up a little well, stay in your lane, Rossi. Um, <laughs> I think, I, I, th- I, mean, I don't know, it's it's interesting to see that we have a driver who's really fighting. I mean, it's, it's kind of reminiscent of what we saw back in the day with Paul Tracy, and if you get a big rival in there, you could have another Bourdais versus Tracy thing that we saw in Champ Car. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, right now I'd like to see him sort of, fall back into that more just about consistency and about pace rather than all about aggression like he was um in the past two seasons that's personally just where i fall in uh but how about you where would you stand on uh, the actions that rossi's been taking
1: yeah i feel the same way i mean road america i feel like people didn't really what rossi said after the race was is the overtaking cars uh responsibility not to wreck and I'm pretty sure Sato had him cleared after turn five. Like he came around Rossi's outside and had him clear coming up the hill. And I was always taught that if you are, if your front tire is more than halfway up uh, the guy, you're passings, that is your corner and you're good. Rossi had his front wing barely on, on Sato's left rear tire. That was not Rossi's corner. He should have probably backed out of that one and kind of went up there really deep and took sato off and i don't think it was caused by the the next note is well, i don't think it was caused by the incident but rossi had a problem same as his teammate zach beach and he ended up finishing 16th so he went from going from a podium to 16th and whether that was because of the run-in or not i don't know but if it was, there's another mistake because Rossi made in his championship just like we saw in Detroit. So I think if these are not the championship... I always talk about championship races and it's when you're not the winning car. Like, Joseph Newgarden led 53 out of, like, 56 laps. He led all but two laps. And championship runs are the, are the races where you're not the fastest car in the field, but you still make a decent finish out of it. Now... Rossi, he needs to realize that we can't be. If he's going to be leading the points, if he's going to be in the top five and wanting to go for points, he can't be this aggressive. Like I have no problem with guys trying to be aggressive and going for it, but he's just—he's risking his equipment for no reason. I think like he, if he wants to win the championship, you need to start trying to be consistent, and you need to be in the top five and go for podiums. You can't be. Diving up people's insides and risking your equipment. I mean, that's just... I know you want to win races, but that's not how you win a championship right now. And we're in championship season. Like, those are moves where guys like Ray Hall or Wiccan should be making that are outside the points. If you're points racing, that's not how you do it. Watch how Dixon's doing right now. He was not the fastest guy at Road America. Neither was he last year, but he was not the fastest guy at Road America. He was never really a huge contender, and he didn't make a lot of headlines. But he finished third in the race and he's now the points leader by about 20 or 40 points. That's how I look at Rossi right now. Detroit, Road America, he's he screwed up tremendously in his championship, and maybe he'll turn it around, maybe he won't. I don't know.
0: Well, like you mentioned earlier, Joseph Newground pretty much dominated the Road America race. But moving on to Iowa, and just a firsthand confession here, I'll speak for both of us. Neither of us really... Paid attention to this entire race. Kyle was coming home from that karting race in Indianapolis, and I was watching IMS at Most Sport. Um, sorry if that's not your thing. I'm just more of a sports car guy. Um, but uh, both well, of I us.
1: Watched, I watched the last like hundred laps or so in the IMS gift shop. Funny oh, enough. There you go.
0: <laughs> uh, but both of us did see I'd say enough of the race to be able to talk about it but I'm still going to pawn this one off on you to just go over from the start uh, of Iowa
1: just like Road America there wasn't anything like, insane that to document there was very little yellow I think the one yellow was uh, Zach Veach something uh, was bent and he scraped the wall and that caused a caution And uh, I think that was really the only caution of the race to really document the uh, Newgarden went on a tear in the beginning of the race, and they lapped all the way up to, I think, like fifth place. They lapped all the way up to fifth place, but um, I don't remember exactly what lap it was, of course, because we we kind of here and there watched the race, but I don't remember exactly what lap, but Hinchcliffe, where I think he started like 13th, came came back and passed Joseph Newgarden. Uh, through traffic, I think Newgarden got caught behind like one or two lap cars and Hinch And then we'll say this about Hinch too just to make it clear. He could run the bottom line Really great from what I could see. Like Newgarden was running the middle or the top and it, it Looks like Hinchcliffe basically just blew right by him. Um, Hinchcliffe had such a great car And he did, he passed Newgarden whatever a lap was and from there it was Hinchcliffe's race, man um, then the only thing notable about this race, I got Twitter all fire, fired up. And honestly, it got me a little confused. Um, the end of the race, we had a, a debris yellow, like eight to go. Ed Carpenter got himself in a spin, and he clipped Sato, and the, the left part of the front wing came off the car. So obviously when half the front wing is sitting on the track, they had to call it a debris yellow. And all the teams were told that they were probably going to get a lap or like a three-lap shootout to the finish. We are going to get green because it was like eight to go, right, and it's debris, So they allowed the teams to pit on this yellow to end the race. Um, so guys like Newgarden and I, a bunch of other guys pit. And so basically they come out of the pits thinking we're going to get a restart, but then the laps ran out, and the race ended under yellow. So the guys that pit, like Newgarden and I forget the other guy, someone else got screwed out of a podium. So Spencer Spigot finished a second, Sato's in third, and Fraser Newgar was fourth. So that was where I was confused. Jay Fry said, you know, I kind of understand it where the laps of Iowa are so short that they kind of uh, overestimated how long that would take and how short the laps are. But then again, it's like you, you should, like, at least red flag it or do something. Like, I'm not the guy that's like, man, you guys need a red flag to get a Finish with the fans, but like, if you're going to tell the teams, hey, we're going to finish under green, and you let them pit and give up their spots, you gotta, you have to do everything you can to finish under green. Like, you can't do that. New Garden lost like two or three spots, and maybe that'll come into play in the championship. You just never know. These are things you just never know. You don't do that. Um, but it was a confusing finish, and of course, all the people on Twitter are like, oh, IndyCar needs a green white checkered. <laughs> they need to finish under green. Uh, it wasn't the Iowa Corn like three oh four or whatever it had been. It's the Iowa Corn three hundred, and that's how it is. Uh, just my quick thing on that, but uh, confusing finish that kind of got a lot of people confused, and that was probably the biggest thing. But either way, caution, no caution. Hinchcliffe won the race fair and square. Wasn't out of the pits. He won it fair and square, and that's the good thing. If the winner was decided out of pit road, then I probably would have been a little bit more mad. But Hinchcliffe won the race and the only thing I'll say to cap this off is Hinchcliffe won a race before Robert Wickens. And if you would have asked me if that would happen a few weeks ago, I would have said you're crazy. So (laughs) that happened.
0: Uh, I mean, from the, I'm not going to say a couple laps I watched, but from the small portion of the race that I watched, uh, I'd say that the racing was better this year with the new cars than we saw in the arrow kit era. Um, I just overall saw more battles in the midfield up front. Unfortunately, there wasn't a ton. That was more just kind of a traffic game and a strategy game. Uh, but in the race, middle of the pack, races are. yeah, well, in the middle of the pack, we did see some battles, and I thought that that was good to see a little bit more of a return to what we saw back with the original DW12 package when it was a night race and. If they do end up going to a night race next year, that should increase the action a little bit more as well with the cooler track temperatures and slightly more grip. Um, just looking at they the. Did say,
1: they did say there were like 300 some passes last year and there were 900 some this year, so there's definitely a big, big boost in passing.
0: Yeah. Uh, and just the last thing to look at uh, championship standings because we are, what did you say, only six races away? Yep, six. Um, from the season. Uh, finale Scott Dixon leading at the top with a 33 point advantage over Newgarden that's actually I just want to quickly talk about this because Scott Dixon at the beginning of the season uh, uh really wasn't up there and it wasn't until Detroit when he kind of just crept his way towards the top and here he comes here he co- and now how is he 33 points ahead of Newgarden because you look behind Newgarden and it, it, Rossi is 8 yeah. points behind and like Hunter Ray is 11 behind but like for Scott Dixon to have a 33-point advantage to just kind of creep up that far in just a couple of races is crazy to me. And, you know, we're we're going to be getting into pretty much his strong suit of the season with tracks like Mid-Ohio. And I don't want to hear any comments from you because you say he's not Mr. Mid-Ohio, whatever. That's fair. But he definitely is strong there. Um, and I mean, he's strong at Sonoma as well. I think we could... I don't know. We could already be seeing... Uh, Scott Dixon trying to uh, show what he's got.
1: We're put in a situation right now where Dixon, I, hmm, for Newgarden to catch up, I think he's going to have to win every race. Cause we're going to have to have Dixon have an accident, a DNF. He's going to have to finish in the back, I think, for these guys to catch up. Because we would have the championship of our lives right now from second to fifth. <laughs> but, dude, Scott Dixon has been so consistent since the 500 that we've just taken off in the points. Now, the depressing thing is we do have double points, so basically they're all still in it. The top five is still, like, perfectly in it. But anyways, we have three Americans chasing a New Zealander right now because I just noticed that Newgarden, Rossi, and Hunter Ray are 2, 3, and 4. If that matters to you, then that's a thing. But anyways, second... Fifth in the points right now, I believe are uh, separated by 12 points or something like that. But Dixon, we're asking Scott Dixon to mess up a race in the next six races. Which anything can happen; it can happen. But that's what we're going to need for this championship to spice up a little bit more. Scott Dixon's just been so consistent. But then again, I think he did. Here's the thing I said about Newgarden: he would have had he would have had less of a gap if he would have finished second because Dixon I mean for Dixon this is an off race but he finished like 12th I think so Dixon had like a eh, finish and if Newgarden would have won or finished second he would have been at like a 20 some gap instead of like a 30 so like I said you never know if that's going to come down to the end of the year
0: uh and also I'd just like to quickly point out before we move on because we have been in IndyCar for a little while here um Three teams in the top three in points with Ganassi, Penske, and Andretti. Um, so it's not pretty much just a one-team fight like we saw back in and 2016 we're talking about teams. with Penske.
1: We're also talking about teams. Iowa had Schmidt-Peterson, Ed Carpenter Racing, and Ray Letterman on the podium, which, when's the last time you remember Ganassi and Penske and Andretti have all been swept off of the podium before? Like, just think, has that ever happened? <laughs>
0: it's been a while, I'll tell you that much. Um... But moving on to Formula One. Now, this is probably going to be really short because I, for one, can say I didn't entirely watch any of the past three Formula One races. Part of them I didn't even have a choice because I was at Watkins Glen for Austria. But starting out with F1 at Park... I mean, Paul Ricard. um, Uh. Yeah. Well, you know, (laughs) take it or leave it, you know. (laughs) But we did have... Some interesting things happening in that race. We had Vettel lock up and hit Valtteri Bottas at the start. It's not the first time a Ferrari would lock up and hit a Mercedes at the start. You'll hear what we're talking about in a couple of minutes uh-huh. here. Uh, he got a five-second time penalty, and Hamilton led every single lap from the pole and won. Uh, How exciting. I, I don't know. I don't know if there's that much more to go over in that department. But, um, Besides, the power
1: car it is a parking lot. Yeah,
0: I mean... Well, yeah, it's a it's a test facility if you want to be specific, so that's why I'm I think the whole F one but...
1: fandom and everyone just kind of all agreed that Power Card was a terrible track. I think we all just kinda of conceded on that.
0: Just moving on to a more interesting, more dramatic race though, when they hit Austria, uh, we had Valderi Botas get the pole and it all seemed rather well and civilized, but then Hamilton Botas and Ricardo all retired because of mechanical issues um, and I mean that is the
1: that is the big point of the race yeah well we've, s- this-
0: <laughs> we've seen races where uh, one Mercedes has had a mechanical issue like Malaysia 2017 it was yeah two, yeah um, but having both of them and having Ricardo which was Red Bulls um, higher-up driver in the championship standings that really shook up uh, some things and On top of that, it was Max Verstappen who got a win. So, Verstappen really, uh, until that point, was sort of turning his season around. I know we talked about Dixon turning his season around, but Verstappen really uh, turned his around as well. He was getting a lot of points, a lot of podiums, and a lot of wins. Actually, not a lot. He got one win at Austria. (laughs) Um, But uh, really just sort of working his way up the point standings very slowly but surely after a very poor beginning of the season.
1: Well, one last thing about Austria, like this is like a key note, is the interesting part about the finishing order is Haas, both cars and Haas got top fives, four and five, and then Sauber finished ninth and tenth, so a double points for Sauber and Haas, and that is actually, Sauber is the big one, because remember remember back when Sauber was racing to stay alive, and now they just finished both cars in the top ten? Yes, a lot of cars DNF'd, but that still happened, it's pretty
0: interesting. Yeah, well, they have sort of just reformed that team. Can't really say the same for Williams. In fact, they kind of had the opposite. But uh, an F1 at Silverstone, the last one to go over here. Um, and just knocked my wheel. Uh, Pole position for homeboy Lewis Hamilton. Um, Didn't really get off to a great start for him because we talk about Ferraris hitting Mercedes at the starts of races. Well, this time it was Kimi Raikkonen who hit Hamilton. Now I just want to talk about this quickly. Um a lot of people talking about this um after the race and pretty much while the race was going on. you think that was intentional? No.
1: <laughs> they went into the corner. Raikkonen had the right to be there and all he did was he locked up the right the right front a little bit and hit Hamilton. Like that's all that happened. It it is just a simple mistake and oh if an F1 driver makes a mistake it had to have been on purpose. Like no. These drivers still make mistakes, and it wasn't that big of a deal until I think Hamilton made it a big deal.
0: Well, you're not going to get an argument out of here on this one because I agree with you. I think that it's very easy when Hamilton and Vettel are in such a close championship fight, it's easy to point fingers. Um, but that just seemed like a racing error, although he did get a 10-second penalty for avoidable contact. Yeah, and um, he still came back from it. And
1: they, uh, Hamilton and Raikkonen still finished second and third, so I don't know why people are complaining. And, it had, and then if if Hamilton wants to say that's what screwed his race, Hamilton is right behind Vettel when Vettel was trying to catch Botas. So it, if you wanted to pass Vettel and you wanted to win the race, then you could have still. It, that did not ruin your race. There was no reason to really complain about it.
0: Well, yeah, Hamilton caught back up through a couple of safety cars, and uh, that's how he found his way back fighting with Vettel. There at was the finish. a lot of safety cars. Um, yeah. Um but yeah, Reichen got a 10-second penalty for that avoidable contact. I think, I mean, I know you were talking about how that wasn't fair because it was it avoidable contact. He shouldn't have gotten it. Um, I don't know. I mean, Vettel had a similar situation at Paul Ricard. He got five seconds. so a little bit of inconsistency. I don't know how the FIA governs penalties like that. Um, but it's just a little bit of inconsistency on the surface. Uh, but it was Sebastian Vettel who really put in a great drive at the end to pull away after the final safety car. Uh, he picked up... I don't even know what number win that was of the season, but it's quite a few, and uh, pushing him further into the championship lead uh, in the Formula One standings.
1: My only thing about the penalties, this goes around for IndyCar and F one, is what happened to warnings? Why, why did warnings go away? If there's an accident like like Raikkonen and Hamilton, where it looks like it was an accident, I mean, yeah, you can you can you know inform them about. That the stewards have an issue, but you can give them a penalty. Don't go off and just give them a 10 second penalty. Like, that's what I said about the Rossi accident. When the Wiccans thing happened, give them a warning. And then when it happens again, like it did, that's when you give them a penalty. Like, if it happens once and it looks like a mistake, that's when you warn them. If it happens again, then that's when you give them a penalty, whether it was a mistake or not. Like, if it's repetitive, penalty happens once. Warning. Whatever happened to warnings in racing people? I don't get it.
0: And, last two races to go over here. IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. Welkins Glenn, I can talk a little bit about this one. Obviously, reasons um, because I was it's there. Good race. Uh, it was a good race. I don't know if that's what you just said or not. I couldn't really yeah. hear you clearly, but yeah, good. it was a good race. A very interesting race. Now, I just want to quickly point off because it happened two races in a row that the car, Autosport, Orica got pole in the hands of Colin Braun, and both races, they sacrificed that pole position and started at the back because they wanted to start John Bennett in the race. I don't really understand the strategy in that unless you're trying to make headlines um, because you could have just qualified John Bennett and hoped that he didn't qualify last. Even if he gets second to last, it's one position further up than you're starting by forfeiting your uh, pole position driver. So I don't really understand the tactics in that unless they're trying to make headlines. Um, But there you go, two races in a row they ended up doing that. Uh, And this race really was the first race where we could see the global spec P2 cars fighting up against the Daytona Prototype International cars. Um, In fact, some saying that the P2 cars had a little bit too much pace. I don't know. The DPI
1: cars actually got a boost increase after. Yeah, they they
0: did get a boost increase. Two of the standout drivers though, I really saw, um, actually the biggest standout driver I saw, was Colin Braun over the past two races. He kind of came out of nowhere and is all of a sudden just throwing down amazing lap times, amazing consistency. I don't know if it's just because uh, the European-style tracks suit him a little bit more, um, but it's definitely really cool to see this guy kind of come from nowhere. um, And now he's up fighting with the big boys like Montoya, and and uh Interior. And passing Jordan Taylor at uh, most sport for the win. But another driver lineup I want to just talk about, uh, the Red Dragon, Ganesco, JDC, Miller, Stallings, what, Racing, whatever. There's a yeah. lot of words involved in that team name. Um, but they uh, picked up the win at Watkins Glen, and I just want to point out that they are an all-silver-rated driver lineup going up against team lineups with pretty much all Platinum drivers from Penske um, and Wayne Taylor Racing. I, in fact, Ringer van de Zander might be gold, so I'm not... I uh, can't remember, but he's either gold or Platinum. I don't know, we still... um, but, you know, either way, to see an all-silver driver lineup going up against these big boys and winning uh, was really something.
1: But you also gotta remember that uh, Roman Dumas, the other part of the core autosport group, uh, wrecked some people got away with it, and finished second in that race. I don't really, if you, you probably remember the incident better than I do, but I, I remember one instance, uh, I don't know, who'd they wreck? They got into the back of somebody and spun them out, and there was no penalty. And then there was also um, the part coming out of the boot. I just forget, I, mean, I remember they- Well, the, bit, the people, incident in I the boot who.
0: was uh, with United Autosports and oh, uh, yeah. Paul DiResta. But and I was actually standing right there when that happened. Um, but yeah, Romain Dumas really was putting down some moves, questionable moves, like you said. Um, but they didn't get a penalty for it. Um. <laughs> there were some drivers on Twitter, kind of uh, letting off steam about that one. And
1: as you say, United Autosports too. Just a shout out to them for a leading laps and being a contender in
0: the beginning, uh, no matter what happened. Right, they actually started on pole at the beginning because Colorado Sports yeah, sacrificed it. Because pole. Of Colin, um, he sacrificed. But, but talking about teams who got penalized, or he was talking about teams that didn't get penalized, but teams who did get penalized uh, Land Motorsport, again, they pretty much were only racing the North American Endurance Championship rounds. Uh, but Daytona, obviously, they got that penalty that cost them the race when they had, what was it, like a lap something lead? Um, and. Now, again, at Watkins Glen, they got a penalty for... I can't even remember what it was for. uh, Servicing the car under a closed pit, that's right. yeah And then, eventually, they just kept going on, didn't service the penalty, or didn't serve the penalty, um, and they just continually kept getting uh, more and more drive throughs for not serving it within three laps. And then, eventually, they just made made the decision to park the car. Uh, And I don't know if we'll be seeing any more from them in... Petit Le Mans I I mean I saw the drivers after the race and I saw the team and they were in the debrief and they looked more upset than angry Um, so I don't know I mean maybe they're just going to keep their cool temper they'll realize hey you know we made a mistake on this one but I said it after Daytona and I was wrong but I'll say it again I won't be surprised if we don't see them show up for Petit Le Mans in October Agreed Canadian Tire Motorsport Park was the next round and that race, like you mentioned, we saw the DPI cars getting a slight boost, we saw Corvette getting uh, a slight BOP break, um, but really that race uh, came down to another DPI versus P2 battle. Uh, this time, again, it was Core Auto Sport versus Wayne Taylor Racing. Now, actually, the Acuras were pretty much the stars of the field. Um, but the 6 car had an issue, uh, during the race, and then the 7 car, they just had a bunch of smaller issues that kind of added up, and they weren't really lapsed down like the 6 car was, but they didn't really have that pace at the end, uh, to fight for a win, so it was the Wayne Taylor racing car and Core battling it out, um, and after the final restart where Core just grabbed the lead, they pretty much just checked out, and Colin Braun, Uh, Threw down another great drive and took home the victory for that car coming from last to first in 2 hours and 40 minutes. Um, So, great effort by that team, although we'll have to see whether or not we see another BOP adjustment after MoSport. Because, personally, if I was in charge, I think that the Acura and the P2 cars are pretty much on the same level. But I think that Mazda and Cadillac need a slight break. Um, because these tracks really don't seem to be suiting them that. Well, although we do have tracks like Road America coming up, um, where the Cadillac should be a little bit better because it's more 90 degree turns, uh, than long sweeping turns.
1: Also more straightaway.
0: Yeah. Which the... Uh, well, straightaway I'd have to hand to like the Oricas because they seem to have the dominant car on the straightaways. Um, but GTLM, it came down to, uh, well... Porsche pretty much had the most pace in GTLM, but the 67 Ford pitted extremely, uh, they got extremely lucky with their last pit stop and pit right before the pits closed, and that pretty much gave gave them the advantage, and IMSA, I noticed this at Watkins Glen, they're not that consistent with how they handle restarts, so sometimes they'll just uh, bunch all the cars together. Sometimes they just won't even wait for all the cars to catch up and they'll just throw it back green. And uh, this time they didn't allow the GTLM cars to drive next to each other. They just had um, the GT car, or GTD and GTLM cars all mixed in and that's when they restarted. So that pretty much just handed the end of the race to the 67 Ford um, because the Corvettes and Porsches got stuck in some traffic. And the very last thing I want to go over in GTD, uh, Magnus Racing is finally finding some pace. Andy Lally was putting down some great battles during that race, especially with Catherine Legg in the Acura. And they got their first podium since, I want to say, 2016. I don't think they've gotten a podium at at all during the 2018 season. Of course, 2017, they didn't run an IMSA. Um, But just a quick... Post it note I want to stick on that one is I was talking to the Magnus guys at Watkins Glen, and they said that at that race they switched over to the 2016 chassis. Um, before Watkins Glen, they were running their alternate chassis from Pirelli last year, um, and they said that the drivers, for whatever reason, they could put the exact same setup on, but the drivers didn't really like last year's chassis that much, so they just prefer the 2016 car. So they took that car out, dusted it off a little bit, uh, put the correct setups on for the past two races, and they really found a lot more pace. And I wouldn't be surprised if we can see them picking up some wins later in the season.
1: Especially at Lime Rock where they won it in, I believe, 16, 16 right? Yep. Which you will be at Lime Rock, which is interesting.
0: Yes, I will. Hopefully.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then going down to points now. Uh, points are ridiculously interesting right now. Uh, the thirty Action Express takes up one two right now, on the thirty one car has one hundred ninety eight points. The five one ninety seven. It's a one point gap for first and second. And then going all the way down to seventh with the JDC Miller car, the ninety nine. They're only twenty four points back. JDC Miller is twenty four points back in seventh. And then going back up again, third place is Wayne Taylor, uh, the number ten, and they are I believe like ten. They're exactly ten points behind the leader. The uh, core Autosport sport core auto is beating two Penske cars. Can we just can we just acknowledge that it's ridiculous? They're 15 points behind, and then the two Penske cars sit fifth and sixth at uh, I don't they're like 18 points there. They're in the mid range between JDC, and they're, they're back there, so we got 24 points separating brings first seven cars in prototype, and that's pretty ridiculous. I think that's that's crazy. It's gonna be a, a pretty good fight, I would say, especially between the top three. It's going to be interesting to see if Core can keep up this this run going and see maybe if they can uh, sneak into a title fight. But obviously Action Express is going to be tough to beat. And if anyone's going to beat him, I would guess it'd be Wayne Taylor. But we'll see how the rest of the season goes. GTLM, we got a six-point gap to the 67 Ford and the 3 Corvette. And then third and fourth is 66 Ford and the 4 Corvette. So Ford, Corvette, Ford, Corvette and then Porsche Porsche, and then the BMWs in the back, of course, the this, this sad GTLM team, the Risi Capitizioni car, in last, because they only made it two races. Um, but yeah, GTLM is also heating up, because we can't leave out the, uh, the number four Corvette, or even the 912 Porsche, they're tied for uh, a fourth in points right now, the four Corvette and the 912, and then the 911 is only one point behind them. So... Definitely, I'd say the top six definitely still have a chance, but I would put this fight between the two Fords and the number three Corvette for the season. Definitely, GTLM is kind of a wacky class where you can't really uh, guess the rate. Right, you can't really predict the races as well, how they're going to go. So the title fight is still up in the air, and maybe we'll see the, like, the last couple years where the Corvette kind of just sneaks in there in the end and becomes low-key the champion where we didn't, Really, you uh-huh. know, think about it. And to me, right now, the most interesting championship—it might not have as many drivers, really, you know—in the mix. But the most interesting to me right now is GTD with the number 86 Meyer Shank Racing car, the car that was supposed to be part-time. I knew you were going to point this out. <laughs> They are three points behind the point leader right now. So the quote-unquote part-time car is three points behind. Now this battle is going to all depend on if they can keep the funding for the rest of the season, and I'm betting if they had the funding already for the 93 car, like I said before, they'll probably they'll probably if they have to stop running the 93 in hopes the 86 wins a championship. Uh, of course, that the 86 with uh, Catherine Leg and uh, uh, Lawson Um and then third place, he's definitely not. They're definitely not out of it, but they're more out of reach um, about. Ten points, thirteen points back, and third is the uh, Riley Motorsports Mercedes, and it's Scuderia Corsa in fourth, and they are they're a ways behind. I would say the top three is still the really the, the key of the championship. There's still the guys that are in it. Uh, the Riley Mercedes are definitely gonna have to have a bunch more great runs uh, for the rest of the season to get this momentum going for the championship. But GTD, in my opinion, is probably the craziest right now. Even the prototype has a bunch of cars in it. I think. If there's an unpredictable championship, it's probably GTD.
0: Well, we want to talk about interesting. There's only three more rounds for the prototypes um, and five more for the GT classes, but three more rounds for the prototypes doesn't leave them a lot of time. And I know you mentioned how close the championship fight really is. Seven positions covered between seven something points, or Not seven positions blanketed between 20 something points. Um, But three races left, they're really going to have to find something. I'm looking at the tracks where we could see the P2 cars having an advantage. I feel like...
1: uh, Road Atlanta? (laughs) That's the one I could see.
0: Road Atlanta, yeah, I could see that. But also Laguna Seca, obviously. We saw the first win for a P2 car there last year. Funny Uh, enough. But it's going to come down to what Action Express does, because right now they're uh, leading out the championship In both respects with both cars so I think we're gonna have to see some sort of mistake from them because you'll always count on finding them up front they always seem unless they have any big mistakes they always seem to find their way up front so I'm gonna bet that they're gonna have to have some issue with one two uh, with one of the cars or both the cars in at least one of the races for the rest of the season Long story short, both cars I think are going to have to run into one problem at least if even Wayne Taylor Racing want to be in the hunt. But we'll have to see. And then like five it, rounds left for the GT cars.
1: Like I said, the top four are really the ones that are really in it. I think I mean, Core is the sneaky one to me. Core is like the sneaky one. They could sneak in there if they wanted to, but it's unlikely. We'll have to see. Yeah, but like I said, if there's anybody that's going to take on the Action Express guys, I think it is Wayne Taylor. I think they're the one. They're the guys that they're the guys that are going to do it if they're going to do it. Um, Core to me is still sneaky, though. It just depends on how many good races they have. If they win the rest of the races and Action Express has bad races, then I mean, that's like I said—they're sneaky. It could happen, but never leave out Penske and you know JDC is still there if uh, the top six implode. So <laughs> we'll see.
0: Yeah, and that's gonna wrap it up for this episode of the Rain Race Podcast. Um, it was following every long. single episode ever. It was a long one. Um, but promise you next week's episode won't be as long if you like the shorter episodes more. Well, I, I can't say that because we have a lot less race. <laughs> no, Cause we if we're going to debate, unless, we're debate unless the entire DPI, world then. of motorsport news just decides to explode, I can almost guarantee you next week's episode will be shorter. Um, but, but you know, but we're, we're not really good DPI at predicting.
1: And P2. And P2. Yeah. So
0: yeah so and Kevin those guys there. Are so we'll probably, it. yeah, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Um, but, yeah, finally back on the Monday schedule. Hopefully we'll stick to this for a while. Um, and hopefully we'll also get back to weekly episodes because it is the summer and we have more time. Uh, but, yeah, it's going to wrap it up for this episode. You can check us out on Twitter at the Rain Race... or No, at Rain Race Podcast. Don't put the thought in there. It won't be there. there you go. Um, uh, also, just one more thing to really point out. Uh, the YouTube page is on a different URL now. Uh, YouTube.com slash C slash GT Rain. All right, so there you go. That's the new youtube url because i decided right. to change my channel name uh and kyle's stuff is linked at the top right as always if you're watching which, youtube which
1: mine has always stayed the same because i like to keep consistency at yes. ray health 15 on every platform
0: all right there you go uh anyway thank you for listening to this episode and hope to catch you in the next one